0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Turn your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 20. Look at this morning being the Ten Commandments, and today we finally get to one of the commandments. So, be Exodus 20, verse 3 today, which is the first commandment. But I'll read the entirety of uh, the 10 commandments this morning. Exodus 20, verse 1. We come to you by the person of Christ, and we ask for your blessing upon this service, meaning we want you to sanctify your people, and we want you to save those who are lost. For those who are here today who do not know Christ and do not know his gospel, O God, would you open their hearts, and would they receive uh, this precious gift of Jesus Christ this morning? If there's anyone here today who is deceived into being A false convert, believing that indeed he is saved, but not saved at all in the eyes of heaven. We pray that today you would bring about regeneration in his or her heart. Oh God, would you please bless and anoint the preaching and hearing of your word this morning. Amen. Well, we're in the Ten Commandments, and I've spent a good deal of time trying to get everybody on the same page with lots of information is to what the Ten Commandments are and what their purpose is. And the Ten Commandments, I hope you understand by now, are the natural law and the moral foundation of all reality. So that if reality and nature itself has a constitution, and the constitution of reality is the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are grounded in the person of God, God reveals his person in the preamble, which we have spent two weeks looking at in verses 1 and 2. And the preamble tells us that the Ten Commandments are grounded in the God who speaks. God speaks and we should listen. They're grounded in a God who self-exists. He finds being in no other, but all other beings derive their being from him. He is a God who is in relationship with his people, so They come from one who loves us like a father or like a husband. He helps us and he cares for us. He's with us like a friend. And this is the one from whom the Ten Commandments come. And they come from a God who acts historically on behalf of his people, namely, in this case, the Exodus, where God demonstrates his sovereignty over the nations, He demonstrates himself as the great liberator and savior of the people, and he demonstrates himself to be the creator, and in that regard, himself by the word of his mouth, creating a new nation in Israel. And so the Ten Commandments are the natural law, and as they are delivered on tablets of stone, God grounds them in his unchanging character. So, I've spent... A lot of time now putting the Ten Commandments in the context of Scripture. It's taken, I think, about six weeks to get here. And then grounding the Ten Commandments in the preamble. Today we're actually going to get into the Ten Commandments, the first commandment we're going to get into today. And the last few weeks is we've looked at the Ten Commandments within the context of Scripture. We have, it's been heavy in teaching, so what you've received has been a lot of information over these last few weeks. Well, we're we're probably going to switch gears now that we're getting into the Ten Commandments themselves, and it's going to be more heavy on application. So whereas the last several weeks has been heavy on teaching, now we're getting more heavy on the application side. And I want to give you a pastoral word as we get into this application side of the Ten Commandments. And the pastoral word is this The Ten Commandments are going to needle your heart. And so, if you have a warm heart towards God, you're going to find that the Ten Commandments bring you under conviction. And you're going to experience, through the conviction that comes by the preaching of God's law, guilt and senses of shame and a sense of unworthiness and conviction. And all of this is going to come upon your person and your heart if you have a hot heart towards God. Now, if you're lost and you don't know Christ... You are hopeless without him. There's there's no way to escape this guilt and shame that's going to come upon you. Other than to run to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. So get saved and be born again. If you're lost. Now if you're Christian, born again, you come to the Ten Commandments. And you feel this guilt and the shame and the conviction that comes through these searching commandments. As they search your heart. And then needle your conscience, pick your conscience. As, as, you, as you feel that and you sense that and experience it, what you need to be reminded of and you need to be training yourself to remind yourself of is that as a Christian, as you confess your sins, God has already forgiven all of your sins. Okay, you've been justified in God's sight for the work of Jesus. And so you embrace those promises without doubting. And experience the freedom that comes by knowing the full pardon of God and the forgiveness of sins. So that you don't bear the weight and guilt for your sins. So you go to Christ. And as you go to Christ and you experience this forgiveness and God releases you of the guilt by your faith in the promises of God and the person of Christ... You need to understand that the Ten Commandments are instructional for you. You don't obey them because you want to earn your salvation. No. You obey them because they're teachers. These are instructing you on how to live a holy and righteous life before God. Not on how to earn your salvation. You can't do that. You can't earn your way to God. But they do instruct you on how to live a life of holiness and what the standard of sanctification is. So as a Christian, come to the Ten Commandments, you feel the conviction, you go immediately to Christ, he pardons you of all your guilt, you have free grace in him, and then you receive them as an instruction manual on how to order your life, and you receive them with thankfulness. So there's a little pastoral word as you come to this teaching, and you experience the guilt and conviction that will likely, almost inevitably, uh, come from the clear preaching of God's law. So what I'm going to do with this first commandment, I'm going to divide the sermon up this way. I'm going to explain it, spend a little bit of time expositing it, what it means, and then I'm going to switch from the explanation to the application. So it's My sermon's divided up a little differently this morning than you're used to. Talk about explanation, then application, and in the application, I'm going to focus on, one, cultural issues first, and then two, personal application. Cultural application and then personal application. Because the Ten Commandments and God's law is for all of life, it's not just for me as an individual, it's for the culture, but it's not just for the culture, it's for me as an individual. And as I get to the application, what you need to do is you need to receive it like this. Some, some will hear the application, and what you'll be thinking is, well, I, I really hope my wife hears this, or, right? I really hope so-and-so's in church today to hear this. That's what you'll be thinking. Don't do that. Receive it for you first, Okay? But, but let's, let's talk about the explanation. I'll go into the explanation section. Well, I'll explain this. And, and just in line with what I have just said, first word in the first commandment is you. You shall have no other gods before me. You. Now, just in case you're wondering, in the Hebrew, that's a you, singular, which means it applies to each individual. Yes, it applies to collective groups of people, but it is written to individual people. Persons. So, as I have just said, before, as you receive the commandments, and as they're given to you, before you're thinking, oh, that should, my husband needs to hear that, or my kids need to hear that, or my parents need to hear that, or I hope this guy's in church today, because I sure know he, I hope he was in the first service, I don't see him in the second service, right? This applies to you. So you've got to search your own heart, and you've got to let the, the commandment do its work in you before you start thinking about everyone else that needs to hear this. You. It starts with you. And this is a big problem today, is everyone wants to put standards on other people, but really, the commandments are for us, and we ought to be hardest on our own hearts. So it's for you, and, and this is for everyone. Everyone. For people in high places and low places, every place in society and every position in society, and it's for all of life. So it's, it's for you as you're a mother, or as you work, go out into the workplace, as a student, as a father, as you serve in your church. Everywhere you go, these commandments follow you. And in fact, there's, there's a trend in some circles where people will say, well, that's, that's my private beliefs, but I'm not making them bear on this situation right now. Politicians do this all the time when they're questioned about their religion. Well, that's my private matter, but I don't make it bear on my public policy decisions. Well, the commandments don't let you do that because the commandments are for you and they're for all of your life, so there's no categorization of when the commandments apply and when they don't apply. They're for all of you all of the time. So don't forget that. You should be searching all aspects of your life as you're confronted with God's law, understanding that all of your life is under the jurisdiction of God and His law. So that's the Ten Commandments. The first commandment starts with you. You as an individual. Then here's the essence of the commandment. I am... or Sorry, you shall have no other gods. Let's talk about the other gods for a minute. Egypt had many gods, and the children of Israel had just come out of Egypt. So they've come from a land of many gods, and God was taking them on to the land of Canaan, which had many gods. And so they're just coming from a land of many gods, and they're going to a land of many gods. And these gods are not real gods, they're perceived gods. They have demonic activity behind them. So the Lord is not one real God among many real gods. He's one real God among many perceived gods. And so they're not real in the sense that they have being, they're simply perceptions. And people can make gods out of all kinds of things. You see these in the various nations of the world. If you go to some nations, they have statues, or there's people in our society, they have statues that they bow down to, and those are their gods, or they have gods by different names and operate differently than our God. And some people have got pleasure is their God. The apostle says that the bellies are their gods because they live for sensual pleasures. And their God could be money, their God could be mammon, filthy, filthy lucre, as the scriptures say. So there's many temptations to perceive something as God or somebody as God, but There is only one God, and so really in the first commandment, where where God is saying, you shall have no other gods before me, it's actually, you know what it is? It's a commandment to live in reality, to live as things actually are, and that is there are no other gods. There's only perceived gods. The word other here, God's othering the gods, okay, in case you caught that, they've been othered and The word other here could also be translated and rendered as strange, bizarre, odd, unfamiliar and foreign, things that are not like. In other words, an other is anything that is not Jehovah, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will not compete with the others, and what he demands is the exclusive affection of people towards him. So, your affection towards the one true God is not to be compromised by a competing affection towards another God. He will not compete. This severs all competing loyalties. And so what this means is that there are no competing loyalties, that ought to be competing with the one true God. It's comparable, honestly, if you look at this commandment and the demandment and the demand that there be no other gods, this commandment is comparable to the exclusivity of a marriage. So when God says, "You shall have no other gods before me," it ought to be seen as the exclusive union that is to exist, or at least comparable to the exclusive union that is to exist between a husband and his wife. So when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, well, it's, a wife ought to have no husbands before her husband, and a husband ought to have no wives before his wife, no women before his wife, and no men before her husband. This is the exclusive love that God is demanding of his people in this context. And the word before me is really important here. Because the word before me can be translated is before my face. That would be an accurate translation of it. It could actually be translated, the Hebrew language, I've, I've noted this before, is a very literal language. And so the phrase before me could actually be translated is before my face. And what this means in, in, this, in, this, in God saying this is that his eyes are everywhere. You shall have no other gods before me, before my face. What's that what that means is, is that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. It's not like you can go have find some quiet secret place and have another God, and God's not there, his face isn't there. His face is there. You know, you, you can't fire up your computer and The darkness of your own basement or your phone in some secret hiding place in your car where nobody's seeing you without the face of God being there. His face is there watching, and what you're doing always is always being done before the face of God. So, this is a commandment to live before His face. It's very strong. In fact, in fact, sin, sin, the very concept of sin is infidelity towards God and God's face is everywhere. So sin is essentially the act of adultery against God in the presence of God. Think about that. Think about that. John Gill said of sin... In the context of the first commandment, he said, It is shocking impiety, monstrous ingratitude, and extremely displeasing to God and resented by Him, and it is, as many observe, as if a woman should commit adultery in the presence of her husband. So, any violation of the commandment, is a violation of the commandment that is done in the presence of God because his face is everywhere. So you you may think that your sin, you can get away with sin and it's in secret and nobody sees you. But this very fact that God says before me, or as I told you, translates before my face, indicates that any act of sin is not just an act of adultery against God, but it's an act of adultery against God in the face of God. That's that's serious business. It's high-handed treason that provokes the just anger and wrath of God. So it'd be one thing to commit adultery, which is evil, but then to brazenly do it in front of a spouse is, is compounding the evil. And the disgrace and the disrespect. But you can't hide your sin from God. You're about as good at hiding your sin from God as Adam and Eve were as good at hiding from God in the garden. And it didn't work. So the act of sin is high-handed treason. It is to commit infidelity, adultery against God in the presence of God. By the very nature of the commandment, you shall have no other gods before my face before me. His eyes are everywhere. You can't escape his gaze. You can't escape his sight. God sees all things. The first commandment, as I put it within the context of the Ten Commandments, is the most important commandment. If I was to rate them, and we should, because I'll I'll show you scripturally why this is the most important commandment. This first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the most important commandment. And not only is it the most important commandment, but it captures all the other commandments. What I mean is, is you can't violate the second commandment without violating the first commandment. If you violate the second, you violate the first. If you violate the third commandment, you violate the first. If you violate the fourth commandment, you violate the first. The fifth, you violate the first. The sixth, you violate the first. The seventh, you violate the first. The eighth, you... You violate the first. The ninth, you violate the first. The tenth, you violate the first. Every sin against God is a violation of the first commandment. It's the most important commandments, and it's the commandment that holds all the other commandments together. This is the first law for a reason. It's not just first in order, but it's first in prominence and importance. I'll give you a few quotes, and I'll talk about this further in a minute. Thomas Watson said, He said, the first commandment is set in front of all the commandments because it is the foundation of all true religion. Okay, so it lays the foundation for everything that's to come. Kevin DeYoung, a contemporary writer and pastor, said the first commandment not only gives us our first obligation as human beings, it lays the groundwork for every other moral obligation. So every other moral obligation is predicated on this first obligation, which is our obligation to God. It's amazing how how we've built this concept of law. You build it from the bottom up. And and so what have we been discussing the last three weeks is the first principles of law, which is God. And now we've got the first law, which is the foundation. So you have the foundation for the first law, which is God. Then you have the foundation for all other laws, which is the first commandment. And then the Ten Commandments operate as the foundation of all laws. So this is quite something else, the way God builds. John Trapp said... In this commandment, the keeping of all the other nine is commanded. All the other nine. So it, it captures everything. This commandment captures everything. And, and just so you, just in case you want to know, like Jesus said this essentially. So for example, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says in verse 37 of Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So, you say, well, that's not the first commandment. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus said, well, what did Jesus say? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Well, they're the same commandment. They're just worded differently. The one that you love with all your heart, your greatest love is your God. The one that you love with all your mind is your God. The one that you love with all your strength is your God. And so what Moses says, or what God says to Moses negatively in the first commandment, Jesus repeats positively in Matthew chapter 22. So Moses says, God says to Moses, you shall have no other gods before me. And then Jesus just flips it into the positive, which is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. How do you know who your God is? Your God is the one that you love with all your being. He's your first love. And the first commandment is telling you to keep God as your first love. So it's the most important commandment. And not only is it the most important commandment, it captures all the other commandments. A violation of any other of the nine commandments Any commandment in the Bible is a violation of the first commandment. The first commandment, actually, if you think about it, is is not just a commandment. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of life. It's a way of ordering your life. It's it's a way of loving. It's a way of hating. It's, It's a way of seeking, a way of avoiding. It's a world and life view wrapped up in this one commandment, it is an all-consuming commandment to ensure that you are keeping God over everything. He becomes your passion in all areas of life. If you're going to be obedient to this commandment, it is a comprehensive way of life that puts every aspect of your life under God's jurisdiction. The first commandment. You shall have all other, no other gods before me. In fact, it, it, is, it is a commandment that in essence is telling you if you have an urge or a desire or a passion or an ambition or a loyalty that is against God, so if you have an urge against God, a desire against God, a passion against God, a loyalty against God, it has to be cut and severed done away with, so that the first commandment is the commandment that all the other ones are based on, and it is the commandment that orders all of life. Every other heading falls under this commandment. Any competing loyalty is to be completely amputated from your life, removed, done away with, so that it is no longer part of you. And obedience to this commandment, what it does is, is it's the trailblazer of obedience to all the others. And disobedience to this commandment blazes the trail for the disobedience that comes from all of the others. So if you keep this commandment, by the very fact of you keeping it, you keep the others. If you disobey this commandment, then the others fall like a stack of dominoes. This is it. It's all premised on this one. This is the first law, not just in order of law, but in priority of law. It's the first priority in law, is that he alone will be your God. This is, to just close off this section explaining it. If you've ever seen a parade, coming down the street, this is the leader in the Parade of Commandments. If the Ten Commandments were a parade to come down the street, this would be the leader of the parade. Or if the Ten Commandments were an army of soldiers going into battle, this would be the soldier at the beginning of the army, the front of the line that is, you know, the bugle boy, declaring that the army's coming, okay? Stomping away before everybody else. And if there was, if the Ten Commandments were a, a fleet in the Navy, a fleet of battleships, the first commandment's the flagship, and all the other commandments fall within the wake of this ship, this is, this is the commandment of priority, the commandment of di- dominance, It is the commandment that casts its shade on all other commandments. It is the fountain of all other commandments. Everything falls within the rubric of you shall have no other gods before me. Everything. Any act of disloyalty to God through sin is a violation of the first commandment. It is the foundation of all others. So there's my explanation. I hope you understand as I've explained it. So what I'm going to do now is, for the next little while, I'm going to get into some very particular application. And I'm going to start with the high-level application, dealing with cultural issues. And then I'm going to go to some very particular personal application, dealing with your life as an individual. But let's talk about the cultural issues. And the cultural issues are simply flowing from a people who haven't prioritized God as God. So the reason you have all the cultural issues we have and the sins of our culture and the confusion of our day, the reason you have all of that is because you have a people who haven't prioritized God as God. They don't care for the first commandment. This is something that's archaic to them. And so then you have all these problems that flow out of it. But let's just start with the cultural issues. This, what this tells us is there's no authority outside of God. No authority. There is no human authority. There is no authority, period. Not just human authority outside of God. So whether it's human intelligence or it's artificial intelligence or it's scientific intelligence, there's no authority outside of God. And any authority that is not rooted in God Is an illegitimate authority that is standing in violation of the first commandment, declaring itself to be God in place of God being God. This, this, see, the first commandment doesn't, it's not just a law, it's the establishing of authority, it's laying the groundwork for all other authority. So, any government, human authority, or artificially intelligent authority, even in this day and age, that puts itself in the place of God and legislates a law against the law of God is now an illegitimate authority. Let me give you a little bit of background for this to, to help understand this and press this home a little bit more. The ancient Near East where Moses was, and he was delivering the law of God, receiving it, the religions of the day did not have gods who claimed totality of authority. So for us, it's like, well, of course God's all, all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And Jesus said that, of course God has all authority. That's the first principle of our religion. But during the time of Moses, the religion of those days, the gods of those religions did not claim totality of authority in this way. So as far as religion goes, this was very unique. But, as far as civil structures and government go, this was the norm. So that while there was no official religious systems that claimed their god is having totality of authority, the civil governments of the ancient Near East claimed that their kings had totality of authority. So, John McKay, the commentator on this, he says, the great kings of the ancient empires demanded the exclusive loyalty of their subject people. In fact, the ancient Near Eastern kings often announced their sovereignty similar to the way the preamble announces God in the Ten Commandments. So, they would announce their sovereignty by introducing themselves by their name and listing their mighty deeds and then going into their laws. And, And so what... What's happening here is God's delivering the Ten Commandments. He's he's not just delivering this new revelation to create this religious group in Israel. He's declaring a new way of governance. A governance that is the first form of free governance in that it is not rooted in the will of the king who declares himself to be totally sovereign, but it is rooted in the will of the invisible God. This, is, this isn't as much an infringement on the religions of the day as the first commandment is an infringement on the governments of the ancient Near East. So if you look at Egypt, they had many gods. There are many different you know, modes of worship throughout the land of Egypt, but they all find their pinnacle in this one person who is the pharaoh. And there's your ultimate authority. And so the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, rooted in the preamble, is a not just a new religion, but it is a completely new civil order designed to not only rival but threaten the ancient Near Eastern kings. This is a threat to the totalitarian governance structure of the ancient Babylonians and the ancient Egyptians and the ancient Persians. It's it's an infringement upon the self-declared sovereignty of their kings. So this is an affront to their governance structure. Israel's going to be like no other nation. All the other nations are ruled by men. Israel will be ruled by law that comes from an unchanging God And who gives an unchanging law, thus providing the necessary component for structured freedom. This hits on the cultural issues. In fact, the first commandment declares that God is supreme, not just over the gods of the earth, but over the kings of the earth. The rulers of the earth. Not just over the kings, but over their laws. So, you shall have no other gods before me. That means you shall have no other laws before my laws. You shall have no other governance structures before my governance structure. You shall have no other commandments before my commandments. Because the very nature of God is that He's the one that tells you what to do. So, you shall not be telling anyone what to do in a way that's contrary to the way that I tell you what to do, essentially. You shall have no other gods before me, is God saying you shall have no other laws before my laws. Gary North rightly points out, he says, to proclaim a rival law order is to proclaim a rival God. A rival law order is a rival God. So let's talk about our own political order right now in our own country Then I'll get on to the personal aspect of these things. We live in a country that the political foundation of this country at this point in time is multiculturalism. Okay? You might have realized that. The political principle, pay attention and listen to what I'm saying and don't hear what I'm not saying... The political principle of multiculturalism is a competing law order that sets the state up is the arbiter between competing claims of competing cultures. And so as we think about the, the law, well, what does multiculturalism do? Well, it says Christian culture stands beside Islamic culture, which stands beside Buddhist culture, which stands beside drag queen culture. And, and who declares that all of those little wee different cultures are equal? It's the state. And so the state then puts itself above the rules, and the state is the one that is declaring the rules, so long as you can have allegiance to any culture you want, so long as your allegiance doesn't go against the state, which is flipping what God says we're supposed to do. You can do whatever you want so long as you don't go against God's law. Well, what the country that we live in is you can do whatever you want so long as you, don't, you go against the state's law. So what it does is it put, it's, it's a subtle way to flip it so that the state now becomes supreme instead of God. Now, the law is designed by God is to be equally applied to all men. So when I say I'm against multiculturalism, I'm not up here espousing some type of racial prejudice, okay, but what I'm saying is, is that the law stands above all people regardless of your race and culture, so that each race, culture, ethnicity, I don't care who you are, what color you are, or where your family's from, you will answer to God, whatever your culture says and if your culture is against the god of the bible it's a godless culture that's the point and so you answer to god and this is what his law does it his law stands above all others in the claims of multiculturalism what it does is it lets men stand under their own laws so long as their own laws don't interfere with the state's prerogative or the state's laws or agenda, which is a violation of the first commandment because God's law and God himself in such context is no longer perceived as supreme. So this is a a forbidding of all other social orders is what I'm trying to say. Multiculturalism or otherwise. Another few that should be most obvious to you would be the social orders of, of Marxism or communism, or socialism, which violate the first commandments, because they are infringements by their very nature on property rights, and, and it, namely the commandment, you shall not steal, the eighth commandment. Okay, they're all violations of the first commandment. This is why the Marxist regimes, when, and even our secular socialist regime that we live in today, this is why they want to do away with the Christian religion. Because it allows them to bring in their social order. And so the first commandment protects you from those social orders. They are systems of thought and law that violate the rights and principles embedded in the ensuing commandments. And in order to get your system of law in, which violates God's system of law, you have to get rid of the first commandment, which is belief in the one true God. Once you get rid of him, you can do whatever you want. And then it's just the guy with the loudest voice and the most guns that tells you what to do. These are political philosophies that fly contrary to the first commandment. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news at all, but there's a lot of items that that go against God's social order. Critical race theory is one of them. Because what, what it's doing is it's judging people on the basis of their color of their skin, and their ancestry, as opposed to the actions that they commit right now, judging someone for what their ancestors supposedly did 100 years ago. That has no bearing on my standing before God. Whether my ancestor 150 years ago sinned against your ancestor, or your ancestor against mine, God is not going to judge me on the basis of that. That is a foreign law order that is against the first commandment and all the other laws in the Ten Commandments. And then, and then beyond that, I don't know if you follow the news what's going on in Holland right now with all of the farmers that are protesting. And I hope you understand why they're protesting over there. They're protesting because the government, in the name of environmentalism, is seizing their assets, their properties, because they don't want the farmers to raise cattle on their Properties anymore because that's going to affect global warming, and so the farmers are up in arms over it. And I I know you laugh because it's so stupid, but the reality is, it's it's going on. The farmers' livelihoods and their ancestral properties are under attack by the government in the name of global warming. And you don't think there's people around here that want to do the same thing to farmers? This is. So, the, you know, I'm all about conservation, but this is, this is something completely different than your great-grandmother's conservation agenda. This is, this is nothing more than communism in disguise. It's like a watermelon. It's, it's green on the outside, but it's as red as a communist on the inside. Okay? That's what it is. But, but so if we lived under a, a Christian law order, which this country once was... These would not be a threat, but in order to usher in this level of government control, you need to usher out the totalitarian rule of God. So you can bring in the totalitarian rule of a dictator and bureaucrats and everything else. And you say, well, you sound like a libertarian. No, because libertarianism is a violation of the first commandment too, because it's, it won't enforce the other nine. It just basically says, let every man do that which is right in his own eyes, so that every man becomes a god unto himself, as opposed to the state becoming a god unto itself. Listen, Christians can't tolerate political agendas set by conservative movements or liberal movements. We tolerate the political agenda that's set by God as it's revealed in his law. How should a nation be structured? God's law order. It's very simple. You say, well, that sounds like... You know, that, that, that's terrible. I mean, how awful. Well, I mean, it's not, like I'm t- it's not like God comes up in the Ten Commandments and says, hey, stay in your basement with a mask for two years. That's terrible. This is very simple, and it's structured, and it's ordered. And so there's no place for expediency or compromise here. So that's, that's commenting on cultural issues. Now, let's get personal for a minute. Let's get personal. What does it forbid on a personal level? Well, the Ten Commandments forbids unbelief. So if you're, if, you're, if you're dealing with unbelief right now in your life, do you know what the solution is? Believe. That's your solution. Repent of your unbelief. Stop unbelieving because you're violating the first commandment. You, you say, well, I'm doubting. R- repent. Look at what it says, you shall have no other gods before me. He is the ultimate and supreme and only final authority, the being from which all other beings derive their beings, their being, God. And Agnosticism, atheism, hypocrisy, all of it's forbidden in the first commandment. In fact, the first commandment assumes that you believe so that unbelief violates the most important commandment, is does doubting, atheism, or agnosticism, and once that first commandment is violated, then the, all the other dominoes start to fall. The first sin of Eve, if you really want to analyze it, is she didn't believe the commandment of God. It was unbelief. What did the devil do? Did God really say that? Did he really say that? At the, at the heart of it, unbelief is not an intellectual problem. It's a moral and ethical problem. It's wrapped up in your obedience to the first commandment. It forbids the compromise of principle. It forbids ignorance. You know the first commandment forbids not knowing the Bible? Because in order to know the God that you worship, you actually have to know the God that you worship. And so there's a whole host of people who call themselves Christians. They don't even know anything about God. It's what they heard in country music or TV or something like that. That's what I heard on the radio, so it must be God, as opposed to learning of Him themselves in the Bible. There's hosts of churches. If you were to preach the Ten Commandments, you'd be run out of town for being a legalist. Why? Because I preach God's law? How dare you? How dare you preach the law of the divine God? It, it forbids compromise. It forbids pantheism, idolatry, witchcraft, fortune-telling, superstition, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, consulting the dead, all of these things are forbidden in the first commandment. Every one of them. And I think most importantly, perhaps, is it forbids thanklessness and discontentedness. Because you know what? Discontented, bitter people, you, discontented, bitter people, you know what they're saying? They're saying, God has not given me, given me what I think he, I deserve, and God has taken what I think I deserve. That's bitterness and thanklessness. This forbids that. Because if you're going to be in obedience to the first commandment, what that means is, is you say, I take what God gives me with a thankful heart. As Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the first commandment being upheld. It is being satisfied in what God himself has given us. But the bitter and the discontent is God has not given me what I think he should, and God has taken from me what I think he owes me. That's bitterness and discontentness. It forbids finding hope in secondary causes where our ultimate hope is not in persons, doctors, medicine, governments, courts, or money. Our ultimate hope is in God. Yes, does he use secondary causes? He most certainly does. But our hope is in God. It for, by the way... Like, do you, do you think you can honor the first commandment and send your kids off to a teacher who's going to teach them to violate the first commandment? Right? Send your kids off to a school where they're going to teach your kid that the God of the Bible is not even true, and then all the other nine commandments are archaic and folly? I don't know how that's a, not a violation of the first commandment. It most certainly is. And, and positively speaking, the first commandment teaches you to fear God more than all else. It teaches you to love God more than all else, to trust God more than all else, to adore God more than all else, to obey God more than all else. It, it's teaching you to be exclusively loyal to God as sovereign so that all other loyalties, desires, affections, and wants are cut off as they compete against him. It is the breaking off of all competing desires and loyalties so that nothing interferes with your desire for God. It is, as, it is such a narrow focus in your pursuits. It is to surrender to this degree that leaves you in obedience to the first command. How, how else was Jesus able to do what he did, by the way? How else? When he sweat those drops of blood in Gethsemane, how else was he able to do what he did? He'd abandoned all other pursuits, all other competing affections, desires, wants, perceived needs. It was all cut off in pursuit of obedience to God, the first commandment. And, And I hope you understand that surrendering to this degree to God is what produces contentment it produces joy and it produces peace and stability in our hearts if you if you learn to surrender to god to the degree that i'm teaching you this morning this is where christian contentment and joy and peace come this is what jesus talks about he says the meek this is what it is everything else fades when it comes to god Everything else, the, the color is just kind of drawn out of everything. And then God is altogether glorious and beautiful and lovely. And so this is a, really what the first commandment is, is it a commandment to joyfully trust in him. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verse 24. He said, if anyone would not come after me or would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The, you say the Ten Commandments, they weren't brought into the New Testament. Well, Jesus taught this. All of your affections must be for Christ to the point where to come to Christ is to take up your cross and die. And then and only then will you find him. Then and only then.